hey folks, welcome. Here we are, the Not Necessarily Mad Podcast with me, Eric Hollinsworth, and G.B. Meyer. As always, thanks to the Tendencies for letting us use their song, Burden Town. You can check out their information at madfamworld.com. So the next three episodes were pulled from one conversation GB and I had about our influence as songwriters, some of our processes, and how we arrived at this point in our songwriting. As with most folks, we are still doing the safe at home thing and are recording remotely. You may experience some digital static during the next three episodes. Still very much worth the listen. So let's get right into it. Well, hey, GB. Hey, Eric. How's it going? You know, n- not not so bad. It's uh, it's our designated time, the witching hour, as we say, and it's it's kind of nice to get that get a chance to sit down and chat with you. It here. is. I'm starting to not only look forward to just a time where we actually can get into a topic and hang out, but you know, uh, I'm enough of a ham where recording it too is pretty fun. Exactly. It's uh, it's 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 one of those things, and and after ironing out some technical difficulties before we got started, it's it's kind of nice just to sit down and talk. It is. It is. totally is. And you know what? I'm so, glad. Uh, you know, ironing out those difficulties makes it all go easier. Indeed, indeed. So uh, when you and I were were brainstorming topics and 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 laying out yeah. some things, one both of us are songwriters. One of us more readily calls himself a songwriter than than the other right and i'll let you guys figure out which one's which <laughs> um but uh we, we we talked about process and yeah. and I, I thought it would be kind of fun to to kind of talk about you know each of our processes how we how we approach it how we get to where we're going and and maybe a little bit about our influences and and then maybe we can talk a little bit about our paths and our journeys to get us where we are now with our with our songwriting. Yeah, and you know, I thought it was such a great idea because um, it's it, it's it's really it's it's strange, and I mean, it speaks to maybe our friendship that we really haven't had this conversation yet. Um, you know, you know, I was at, I was thinking about that when we when we talked about this the other day in our you know in a, in a in another conversation. I was like, you know. I, and I think that's why we both said, you know, this would be great to talk about because we, we've not talked about this before with each other. Yeah. You know, not in any depth. And I know that we were talking about record art and we were going into uh, how did I get here and talking in the Wayback Machine and so forth. We, uh, there were there were, as there often are moments where I'm uh, where I vibe with, oh, you know, that makes sense. Of course, you know, of course, Eric liked that. Um, right. Or I learned something. Yeah. Uh, but uh Oh, I think but, when we get to influences, we're both going to be going, okay, I didn't see that one coming. Oh, up. I know. I can't wait, actually. I really can't. <laughs> I, I, I'm wondering with a couple of these, like whether I'm going to get a really or a ugh, but I really, you know, don't hold back. I can take it. Well, no, I'm always kind. I, I, <laughs> I know you are. I Look, man, uh, I play polkas with the big band on occasion. Uh-huh. I, I, don't, I don't judge. I, you just can't because, yeah. you know, you never know when – when something's going to tickle your fancy like that. So. Well, it's true. And, you know, I mean, and I, I know I said this to you, although we didn't get in, into any depth around it, but the, the, my influences in my lyric sensibilities are not necessarily what are, are my go-to listening or maybe right. not even something that um, I 
I resonate with in terms of just listening to at all anymore, but it's still just very strong as an influence when I'm writing, which is a little bit different. Okay. I don't know if that's I'm, the same I'm, for I'm, you at all. I'm, well, I, I think so. And, and I'm going to let you go ahead with your, your influences. Okay. So I'll, I'll start with, uh, I'll start with one. Um, and I'm interested in your whether or not you see this coming because I, I feel like it's pretty obvious, but that's Neil Young. Yep. So he's got a simple and, and rustic elegance in his storytelling, and uh, I tend to uh, I tend to get a little complicated or a little twisted, and sometimes you know I, I think of simple lyrics from Neil Young and how we can bring it back down to something very. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be very clear what he means i mean i mean just old man take a look at my life i'm a lot like you uh, right or um what is the color yeah. when black is burned a, a lyric that he kind of disavows now but i think it's beautiful um, yeah you know, i mean it's very is, simple yeah i mean thought uh, yeah exactly so you want me to keep rolling with this you want me to tell you yeah. another one or do you okay yeah, go um, ahead um uh i'm gonna say i'm going through a list that i've got on a note card here um this one also might feel a little bit obvious, and that is Robert Hunter. Right. And I don't know whether or not you hang out in the circles we do, and if you are, I think, creatively or lyrically motivated if you don't find yourself under his sway, which I did almost immediately after first hearing him, which was actually later than you would think. I was already in college by the time but, I discovered know, him. That's, that's about the time that, um, that I got into the dead as well. Yeah. And it 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 seems to speak to that age over generations. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, and you know he has a way of capturing um, a story with. He's got this very cool blend of cosmic saga, but also very small moments or very small details. You know, right. he'll make a reference to something small, like or a ribbon for your hair. Uh, he he alternates a lot between the between the infinite and uh, and the minute and yeah, exactly well he, ta he takes the mundane and elevates it he really does yeah and i like yeah. him and i like his sense of storytelling uh he he comes at things uh with the, with a very weird and odd angle another one is michael stipe now that one i not one i would have thought of but yeah it makes perfect sense yeah, so particularly, uh, you know, a, a lot of people uh, who are acquainted with Michael Stipe, R.E.M., um, are, are more familiar with uh, their later work, which would be, I'd say, you know, their early years were, what, 1980 to 1986, somewhere around there. Right. And that was the period of time I was really listening to them. And I was pretty young, and I listened very carefully to a lot of what he was doing lyrically. And um, he was doing a lot in sort of a very southern almost style of of these he'd have lines that would be a not necessarily absurd but they would be a personal reflection but he wouldn't let you in entirely they were an incomplete story say something like your love a two-headed cow so you know he's making a reference to something right but not necessarily telling you what it is now right on one level you know you could flirt with being pretentious if you head in that direction but if you balance and balance it with a sense of mood or other imagery, it can come out pretty pretty tidy. And I, I liked a lot of what he did, and that influences. Right. And, yeah. And well, you I was going to say, I, to, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, I think it, it with, with, with him, and I think that's either people really loved R.E.M. or they disliked it. Uh, almost with yeah. almost with a passion and the ones that didn't like it they were like yeah the music's cool but the lyrics yeah and, I would, and you would go oh <laughs> they're great what about, what about the lyrics and they're like oh, well it just doesn't make any sense and i'm just like oh, oh okay <laughs> sure i've got a couple more and these are going to start to maybe turn not obscure but maybe a little bit less uh a little bit little less obvious or uh, or day to day, uh, Steve Kilby is the main songwriter and lyricist for the Australian band The Church, and yes. they have been around since 1980, and uh, they still put out music. He's done some solo work too, and his uh, his images uh, and his capturing of a sense of mood and story in his lyrics uh, are just something to just something to behold. I don't even right. really know how to describe it. I've I've always been in in complete awe of what he does, um, and uh, and he, the thing is too, like, uh, and I know from him being an influence and maybe even occasionally uh, being inclined to imitate. It's he's hard to imitate. What he does, what he does, he does not make it look uh, hard at all. But um, there's right. some real complexity in what he creates. So I'm a big right fan on. of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, John Doe and Exine Cervenka. I don't know if those are household names. That one's getting a, that one's getting a bit obscure for me, my brother. Okay, well, so they are the um, they are the singing and songwriting driving force behind the LA punk band X. Okay, and uh, and I would I don't know whether or not they ever really called themselves punk. They were definitely inside of the LA punk scene. What and you know, the 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 really good punk bands never call themselves punks. Yeah, they didn't set out to to be punk yeah. really. Um, and but they have a they have a very uh, I don't know they have a high energy near you know near anarchic vibe. But they come to it with um, with with lyrics that are you know one part Americana and another part just. Um, well, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's a reason why people who are in the punk environment access it. It's, uh, you know, they're, they can be shocking. They can be angry. Um, you know, they can they can talk about uh, things that have a honky tonk flavor, but in an, in an absurd or in much more modern uh, angle. And uh, and I think that might just point to the fact that I really liked that band quite a bit too. They just came out with a new uh, new record. I'm getting ready to, to jump into that soon. I hope. But um, and um, then you know, there's there's a few others. I would say uh, Towns Van Zant, his story writing and restrained uh, melancholy are are. Are, are hard to overstate. I think he's pretty obvious. I mean, Steve Earle said that he would stand on Bob Dylan's coffee table in his cowboy boots and tell him that Towns Van Zandt was the greatest songwriter of the 20th century. <laughs> so it's quite a testament. Um, and 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 brave. And yeah, and brave. And then uh, and then finally, um, you know, um, uh, Suzanne Vega. Luca. Uh, yeah. So she did a record before um, that that one. Uh, her her debut record was just it was eponymous. Suzanne Vega, 
and it came out in 1985. And um, I'm not going to say her, her follow-up album with uh, Luca and Tom Steiner and whatever else. That was good, and I like other stuff by her too, but particularly that first record. I know right. it note for note. I know it lyric for lyric. And, right. um, and I'd never heard anything like that before when that came out. And, and so a lot of that was it caught me early. I had just started playing guitar. I was just entertaining lyrics as a form and trying to imagine maybe this would be where I would direct myself in a, in a, in a writing vein. Right. And, uh, and she's very much, if you read her lyrics, very much like a, a New York poet suddenly set to music. Uh, and, um, um, and I think that she might be, I don't know, I think she might be an acquired taste. I don't know if she's for everybody, but she caught me at the right time. And, and it could be. And, and I think my issue with her, because I, I, I did listen, I, tr- I tried to go back and listen to stuff as an adult that mm-hmm. would, were like the earworms of our time. Yeah. As, as, as younger men, younger high school guys, I guess it would be. And I, 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 I could not get into her. I, I appreciated what she was doing, and I appreciated her uh, her songwriting abilities. I, but I think it was more production value for me. I just it it yeah it, it didn't the the music itself didn't hold up sure. over time as well as I thought it would. Sure. But no, I'm with you on that. She. I think that I think her, that, uh, I, I think her, that uh, the production value of everything after that first record is less appealing that first one still holds up a little bit i think right and i, and I should i should probably listen to that before i truly pass no, it. No, but, I, I, but I, I hear you i i've actually uh i don't i don't you know and oh my gosh i you know my wife would kill me if she heard me say this but i don't think that uh i don't think that lucas held up very well at all Mm-mm. and i think there was a lot of you know a lot of uh look there's so much splash around her let's get her a real band and let's give her an 80s sound and you know i mean yeah that's what and, happens and yeah it does it does and and it's kind of sad because you see that you know the, the 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 band gets picked up because they have a certain sound and then the the studios say yeah you have the certain sound but this is your sound now yeah and right it's, and and the second and third album are never as good as the first <laughs> right all right. I have one more for you, but it's a bit, okay. it's, it's, I'll call it a trifecta. Okay. And so right after, right after college, within about 12 months, I would, I encountered three, three songwriters. And so they, they get to speak uh, for the Gen X side of my equation. And those three are um, obviously Kurt Cobain, um, Beck, and right Jeff Tweedy who is, okay. of course, at the time was with Uncle Tupelo, and then later uh, with Wilco. Um, right. And uh, th- those three together, uh, they all have certainly different angles, but um, at when, when I encountered all three of them within that window, all three of them brand new, no one had done anything like what they were doing right. uh, before. And, uh, and I think the combination of them at that particular time, that zeitgeist really just um, uh, have certainly have certainly influenced things that I wanted to try or things that I wanted to do, and I, I can trace now and then when I'm writing, I can trace it back to one of the three of, of those guys, um, which is pretty interesting because you know I'm putting them together in a bucket, and that might not make sense to anyone else, but you know they came to me in a particular capsule. And that well, was I, a, I think. It, 
Well, I think it's a it's a time time thing more than anything else. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that is the that is the shortest list, if you can believe it or not. That is the shortest <laughs> list I could come up with of of the influences. And uh, and and at the end of that, I'll just tell you, I am so excited that Neil Young's uh, uh, homegrown album is going to be coming out in June. Oh. I'm I'm really excited about and, that. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a, you know, I I got turned on to Neil Young in college by a, a really good friend, Jeff Bush, and we were we would sit around just jam, and that's about all he knew at the time was Neil Young songs. And yeah, he he played them really well, and I really those are not only just good because they are good because of of who neil young is but they're also good for me because it's like a nostalgic feeling when i hear these songs or i get a chance to play them or whatever it's it's just you know it's it steps back so um i guess it's my turn to do yeah you need to come at me straight to 95 man (laughs) right so you know growing up i think what we grow up with has an influence to an extent yeah and i'll and i'll preface this by saying as a songwriter as a as a writer of lyrics and songs in total um i've written about 30 songs and about five of them i'll play for people the rest of them are just trash (laughs) and or they're they're they just need to be reworked so badly right now that i I, i'm i'm almost embarrassed to say hey (laughs) i wrote this but (laughs) i know that feeling yeah um and and i've had the i've had the pleasure of um i I was working on with uh one of the professors let me let me start this over again because i was just stammer 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 so uh this past uh this past school year Mm -hmm. uh one of the professors that i work with at sweetbriar college in, in in amherst virginia um he uh does a movie soundtrack and oh, wow. one of one of his guys got to um, got his movie that that uh, Josh, the professor I work with, Josh Harris, um, he uh, did soundtrack for uh, a movie that was picked up. Uh, it, it won some awards at some of the bigger film festivals, and it was picked up by Netflix. It's uh, called King Rat. And um, not only did it get picked up, but his next movie was greenlit. And they gave him enough budget to actually hire like real musicians instead of having synthesized music and um, got to be part of that. And during the planning of that, Josh looks at me and goes, hey, you write songs. I'm like, yeah, sort of. <laughs> and he goes, can you they need they need music that they can't they can't afford to pay royalties for a song, but they need a song. that sounds like came came from 1962. And given that parameter mm-hmm. wrote it out no problem and you know i'm happy to say it made made the cut of the movie and as soon as it's released i'll make a big deal about it but um it's given a given a, a um given a problem to solve basically they need this to sound like this it was a no-brainer and it, it came quick the other songs that i had they are uh, i can't write a rock and roll song to save my life and I think it's because of my upbringing. Um, for those that you don't know, I play primarily jazz, uh, jam band music, and uh, classical. So um, I don't really hang out with country and regular rock bands. Right. But every song I've written has been a country song, the good ones. 
and and I think it's because of the influence. Now, my influences are a lot less um, precise with you as as to to certain people. Although, you know, I you have to start out with the Beatles because they they pretty much influence everything from 1963 on. Oh yeah, just just an, and so that they kind of go without saying that yeah you can't not have them as an influence because they just influence everybody that influenced you or they influenced you directly and you know I, I i would agree that i had robert hunter on my list as well for basically the same reasons as you yeah really yeah um i think the reason that my songs come out with a very country-esque flavor mm-hmm. is i was brought up on bluegrass and classic country um my parents were huge you know, like the, the the classic kind of Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, right. uh, tra- uh, um, uh, Porter Wagner. You know that sure, that sure. whole Johnny Cash in in his heyday. You know, every Saturday night we're watching Hee Haw. You know, right. the, I was going to say the uh, the the ones that were doing their um, uh, n- not full on nostalgia, but uh, Living Greats tour on Hee Haw in the seventies when we were kids exactly exactly yeah. and you know and getting into you know the folks like willie nelson and waylon jennings you know in that time period Buck as well Owens. yeah exactly yeah exactly so and um and my dad was a huge a bluegrass fan we would travel together to um when i got old enough to to go and my mom says well you go because i'm i don't want to go camping <laughs> my my dad and i would go to bluegrass festivals so from about the time i was 12 on we were hitting uh, Virginia has a veritable boatload of um, or did I, I don't know how many of them are still going on right. but at one time uh, every little county had a bluegrass festival and we would camp out for the weekend and go listen to really good bluegrass and you know those kind of things in, influenced me both as a musician um, and and my ear as a writer so that a lot of the stuff that I write can be molded into a, a rock and roll. In fact, Jeff, uh, my friend that in mm-hmm. the tendencies, yeah. he he listened to a couple of my tunes. And he says, "Well, you just wrote a Grateful Dead song," and I'm like, "Oh, great! It's acid country, yay!" <laughs> so, um, but I'm finding you know, and and stylistically, that's where my songs end up because they're, they're very formulaic in the way they lay out: verse, right. chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, chorus, verse, whatever. Um, and the, the chord progressions are a, a comfortable place to be, and you can add the, the spice in them as you like. Um, but lyrically, you know, I, there were, there were two eighties guys or, well, they had their, their heyday in the Mm eighties that I think are just incredibly good writers. And one of them is Colin Hay, who was the lead singer and the guitarist for minute work. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about uh, Ms. Vega and her, uh, some of her stuff not standing up to time, especially the second and third albums that she did. Um, I listened to, to Colin and, you know, he, his stuff stands up now. I've seen him a couple of times uh, locally. He, he makes, a, makes a stop here uh, at the Harvester in uh, Rocky Mount, Virginia. And I've seen his his solo show, and he does some of the songs that made him famous with Minute Work. And you realize 
they're not just good 80s songs they're good songs because yeah, they stand that they, they do stand that test of time and lyrically you know there there are some that were just written tongue-in-cheek you know you you knew that but some of his stuff like overkill that is that that is so shaded and and deep and and visceral so just the song, lyrics to get yeah. to your point whenever i hear it anybody just use the phrase day after day i run through a line from overkill <laughs> exactly in my head to and, this and day and and you're singing it in your head to yeah <laughs> and 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 you're just yeah immediately and it's it's one of my it's one of my favorite songs ever you know somebody asks what's your you ask a musician what their favorite song is and they go well i mean which genre which which time period you know which instrument whatever but that one's one that I can just say that's it's pretty close to one of my favorite songs. The the other '80s guy that his his and he actually started having hits in the U.S. I guess the late '70s uh, was Joe Jackson. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, his his storytelling is phenomenal in a in a pop sense. Um, is she really going out with him? You know, every every everybody has gone through that, but you can't. You can't put it into words like he did. So true. His sense of story is um, uh, captivating. Even you look at something that was radio ready and on MTV. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Dreaming, stepping out. Um, right. Uh, the um, the the flavors of storytelling inside of that, without actually you know following a narrative exactly. Uh, right. Captures character and situation in in a just captivating way captures right. captivatingly <laughs> <laughs> right right now as we wrap wrap up this episode we want to thank those that have chose to listen you can catch the rest of this conversation in episodes five and six of the not necessarily mad podcast go ahead and let your friends know that they can find the not necessarily mad podcast in the podcast section of spotify on an apple podcast and at madfamworld.com stay safe <laughs>